Hi, I'm Dr. Janice Morrow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of American Mood Swings, where we talk about the brain and all things related to mental health. Welcome. And tonight we're here with the creator of the show, Rick Hillpack. Uh, he's currently in Park City, Utah, so we're thrilled to have him here. And he's going to just kind of discuss a little bit about his journey, uh, his, you know, when his early, di- his diagnosis at what stage of life and how he came up with the idea for the show. And just a little bit about like the trajectory of the show, where we hope it goes. And um, I'll just give a brief introduction. We met about uh, 20 years ago. I was just, I uh, he was in IT over at Paramount Studios. And uh, I was a chiropractor. I had just finished chiropractor school and went to the lot and set up shop. So our paths crossed at the gym. He's a bit, we were both big gym, gym rats and exercise, strongly believe in daily exercise. And uh, he, he came up with, the, he was always discussing this show and my background was in neuroscience. And so we just thought that would be a great fit. And so I, I was very eager to jump in. And then um, he had left to go back to what, Iowa to take care of his mother for a few years. And, um, and we just lost touch. And about 10, maybe uh, four or five years ago, we kind of reconnected. It was, it was a very serendipitous event. Reconnected about a year before COVID. COVID hit the world. And we just said, you know, there's never been a time for a show about mental health. The whole world was kind of falling apart. Um, you know, lots of lots uh, substance abuse and isolation and all the things that were exacerbated by um, by COVID. But also, um, I just want to point out that Rick came up with the idea with this show, and it was a completely different world 20 years ago. It was long before there were no mass shootings at that point. And now we're like, as a nation in the United States, we're experiencing pretty much daily mass shootings. Yeah. Every day, every day. Yeah. Schools, people can't even drop off their kids at elementary school without worrying that they're going to not see them. Yeah. That night. So the, the show was, he came up with the idea for the show long before daily mass shootings, long before fentanyl was even, you know, nobody was discussing fentanyl. Now it's the leading cause of death for people between 18 to 50 years old, the leading cause of death, Uh, opioid addiction and suicides at an all time rate. So it's kind of, um, it it was, it was well, well ahead of its time, but here we are now and it's, we're ready to get the show out there. So Rick, take it from me. Well, you know, there's just such a need. And so, you know, my own story was um, I, I was diagnosed when I was 25 years old with bipolar. Um, I was found running down the middle of the street on Coldwater Canyon in Sherman Oaks, California. Um, and then I was arrested um, after I exhausted myself. And I was, you know, basically laying in the side, laying on the side of the road. And the, and the police came up and handcuffed me and arrested me because of my behavior. They took me to the North Hollywood police station where they did a drug test and an alcohol test and they saw that I was clean and sober there was no there was no no drugs in my system no no drinking and then they transferred me to uh county mental health um hospital Selmar um and that's where I was officially diagnosed uh bipolar and that's where my real beginning of my journey with bipolar started well, you, you've also shared that there was an incident. Talk a little bit about how what was going on in high school and then when you went to college, the very first episode. Even well, the was- very first psychotic episode that was when I was 19. I was at Iowa State University training camp for football in the fall. Um, it was in August 
and I was 19 years old and I really, it was like from out of the blue, um, became very psychotic in a, in a coach's office, was writing on the chalkboard that it was the end of the world, diagnosing all these things. And then I ran and hid underneath a desk um, because I was so afraid that the end of the world was here and that it was doomsday. And I wrote that on the board and I was diagnosing all this stuff. It was amazing. And, and that was just like, prior to that, you, I think you've mentioned like, so here you are, you're in high school, you had like top of your class, class president, yeah. you got a football scholarship, no signs or symptoms. Nothing well, yeah, I was, I was captain of my football team, captain of my track team. I was an Eagle scout. And so I was really, um, life was great. Life, life, was great. life couldn't have been better to be honest with you. And then, and then after this psychotic episode at Iowa State University, um, after that, I was uh, in a hospital for two to three weeks. My parents didn't know where I was at. No one knew where I was at because of HIPAA laws, I guess. That, that was all confidential. And then eventually they found me and they got me out of the hospital. And I basically, for the next six months, barely could get out of bed. I mean, I literally could barely get out of bed. And I was definitely suicidal. I was really lucky to make it to my 20th birthday. Um, but I did, and uh, because of my dog, really. <laughs> and so, and dog's name? Tell us your dog's name. Uh, yeah, Levi was was my dog, and it was um, it was just he was always there for me, always um, just by my side, and he forced me in a way to get up and let him out so he could go to the bathroom, and eventually needed to be walked, and um, so that's what really kept me hanging on was my was my dog. Um, so that's how I got to my twentieth birthday. All right. So here you are. You're at home at your parents. And then yeah. talk about the journey after that, how you ended up in Hollywood. And then you just you kind of touched on that episode of cold water. But let's say so now things are you get some treatment, some medicine. And yeah. let's talk well, about trajectory into Hollywood. And then when you kind well, of well, I, 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 I got I got back on track um, after that first psychotic episode. Um, I really got the best counseling and the best doctors in that area um, because just because my dad and mom had wherewithal and they wanted to make sure I was going to be okay and eventually did come out of it and started exercising again, was taking medication, um, seeing a therapist and a psychiatrist and, you know, surrounding myself with positive things, staying away from drugs and alcohol, anything that would throw my brain chemistry off and really started studying about, health and nutrition, um, supplements, things that were going to be good for my brain, like magnesium and zinc and fish oil. So eventually got healthy again and finished my AA degree and then decided after all that drama that I went through, I was going to do really do what I wanted to do. And that was to go to film school. And so, um, I went to um, Los Angeles and, and, and went to, uh, Columbia college, which is a technical film school. And that's really where my Hollywood story starts um at columbia college um back when i was 25 years old all right so then now you're you finish up at columbia you end up you land a, a your dream job at paramount studios and let's take it from there so and then how you came up with the idea for the show and um yeah and then and then a little bit i'd let well one question at a time but yeah I'd, one question at a time i know I'd, I'd love after that i would love to know you know like how it's affected relationships and things yeah. like that and then it you know later we'll discuss like how you manage it and what how you've been able to live right. with it for 40 years right well i always wanted you know, my whole thing about going to hollywood was to be a creator and to 
come up with things that were going to be educational, um, something that would be a benefit to society and would be a kind of behind the scenes kind of person. And because some people talk about having, you know, your purpose come out of your pain and, and knowing about bipolar and learning about it, I knew that other people, millions of people, as, as a matter of fact, in the United States and tens of millions of people around the world suffer from bipolar. And then not only bipolar anxiety and depression, it just, it just, it just little by little organically came to my mind that this, this was really something that isn't being highlighted back then for sure. Back in 2005, 2006, no one was talking about mental health. Rarely did anyone really, you know, maybe it was Michael J. Fox's situation. I don't know exactly what, when people really started talking about mental health, but it was somewhere between 2005 and maybe 2010 where maybe it was um, Richard Dreyfus. Maybe it was, you know, people started having these breakdowns and people started Carrie Fisher who played uh, in star Wars has is bipolar. So little by little people started talking about it. And then, I just knew there was no ongoing show then. And even now there's really not no successful ongoing show with about mental health. And it just, it just kind of made sense to me that this is something that needs to be, the education needs to be elevated. Be, people need to be aware because people really need help, especially now after COVID things are exacerbated. So that's, that's kind of how that concept came, came about in a, in a roundabout way. Okay. Um, I would love to know if the, how this has reflect, uh, affected relationships um, before you, you know, before we go into like how you've managed like ha familial relationships, romantic, has it interfered? Yeah, there, there's no question that um, I would say that dramatically, even within my own family, that maybe see it as maybe they see mental illness or bipolar as a character defect and not so much as a chemical imbalance. But I can, I can tell you that I haven't talked to my brothers and sisters for, well, probably my brother, Dave and Sandy for like 10 years after my mother passed away. I haven't really talked. I talked to my brother, Bill, like last year for the first time in 10 years, but definitely rift, um, definitely made a real, real rift in my my relationship with my family. I, maybe they didn't, maybe they, maybe they think I didn't take it seriously enough. Maybe they didn't really have a clear understanding of how devastating a mental illness like bipolar could be, but I, it definitely affected my family. It definitely affected my um, relationship with women in that when things were going good and I didn't have any kind of symptoms, the relationship was fine. But if it kind of went off kilter with, some mood swings or some frustration or anger that um, could have been perceived as dangerous, which, you know, your psychotic behavior can be dangerous at times. It can be life-threatening. There's, there's without a doubt, um, that is a fact. So I would say that it's been devastating at times. I would absolutely say that. Okay. Well, yeah. it's just true. I mean, it's really, Brutal reality. Uh, yeah, it, it is brutal reality. And, and people really have to have compassion. Even my best friend, you know, who I would say was the best friend I've ever had in my life, who actually literally took me to the hospital a couple of different times. Really, um, we, we had a separation and a parting of the ways after, you know, he, he didn't really want me to be around his kids. 
not knowing whether there was going to be some, I mean, seriously, 98% of my life has been as normal as anybody else's. But when that 2% of the time that could come up and, and, and cause um, significant behavior that could be devastating and scary and rude and, you know, moody anyway, but, you know, it can be, it can be really intense. Bipolar can be really intense. Well, you know what I've never asked you about, and I would love to know, uh, because the whole, you mentioned like that two week stay in the hospital um, in Iowa, but then also when that you're, once you got to Hollywood and you had an episode one night and you were running through the middle of the street and you're taking, what's your opinion, like what of, of the hospital experience? Because people, you know, for a family member, I have a family member, he's gone to a psychiatric hospital two or three times for like 72 hours and then uh, a year and a half ago he was put in one for three months he, right. he claims you know pretty much all they did is give him drugs and there wasn't what was your experience in these hospitals did you feel like it was helping you or making you worse no what? it was definitely helping me and and i'll say that when you're in an acute situation when you are truly psychotic you need drugs and you need to be in a hospital you 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 need to come down off that manic energy that you know gets gets you to the point where you're literally just coming unglued and you don't even trust your own thinking and your own thinking is so irrational that the best place you can be is around nurses and doctors and literally um and when i was 19 years old i was literally strapped down to a bed for like 24 to 48 hours they would not even let the let me out of the um the straps i mean i I don't know how to explain except i was i was strapped down to a bed and then eventually slowed down enough with shot me up with Demerol maybe or something of that effect that I finally slowed down where they could trust me enough where they could still keep me in a padded cell, <laughs> literally in a padded cell, but, but then let, let me off the bed. Okay. That, that's how intense it gets. That must've been pretty traumatizing at 19. You don't have any history of this and out of the blue, you're like on a scholarship playing football and then <laughs> you're like strapped down to a bed in a, in a psychiatric institution oh, it, it, well that that's the whole point of the what happened the next six months were like now now i'm dealing with what just happened to me i was i was not diagnosed at that time um then it was like the stigma of gosh you went from being all this stuff in high school and now you've got the the stigma of you've been in a mental hospital and back in the 80s it was pretty you know, you just hear again, you didn't talk about it. You had to live with the shame. It was it was the most depressing thing I've ever been through in my life. That the initial part of it Now, once you learn about it, once you know that you're not alone and and once you get through and you start studying the brain and you learn about brain chemistry and you learn about supplements and how you're going to take care of yourself, you have to take yourself serious. The first initial part of it, when you don't know what's really happening, that's where you really need the most help. And that's where you really have to hang on, because if I had someone like me to talk to that has gone through it all in the last 40 years, and I could sit with that 19 year old person and say, this is what you have to do. This is what you 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 can't lay in bed. You can't lay in bed for 15 hours a day. You're not going to get better. Get up and start walking. I know you don't feel good, but eventually in the next few weeks, you'll be better and you'll feel better if you get your blood moving and get fresh air. It's just as simple as that. Um, as, as a beginning, um, without even including all the supplements, um, positive music, positive things you might watch, things that are going to motivate you.
to make you feel better. And that's just a small part of it because you're still very, very depressed with all the other heavy stuff that's going on around you. But eventually, the, the good news is you can recover and you can be healthy again. You can live a normal life. I would say that really it's been 10 years since I've had any kind of real mood swing that was uh, that you would deem psychotic or something where I needed to be hospital. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So walk us, walk us through your routine and well, we can talk a little bit about um, how, what, what happened, how was your state during COVID and that, you know, things kind of spiraled and then, and I'd, oh, yeah. I'd, love, I'd love for you to just briefly touch on that and the help you got because you've mentioned something called, is it the community centers or. Um, well, well, we've got Summit County Clubhouse. That's the mental that's, health. Yeah. Yeah. Love, organization. Yeah. If you could talk about that a little bit. Okay, so so during COVID, and I was an Uber driver, and during that time, you know, people when I when I start talking about being homeless, they 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 for some of them forget that we were actually in a pandemic, and people were getting sick, and people didn't have places to live, and and they weren't they couldn't pay their rent, they lost you know their mortgages, a lot of things went sideways during during COVID, and so for me, I was homeless, and I was lucky enough. Um, for some reason, kept a good attitude through the whole thing. I was, I had a place to camp out. I had a tent. I wasn't just living in my car, though. I did live in my car for a couple of weeks before I got the tent and stayed at um, the local state park. Um, and I was there for a couple of months before um, the people at Summit County Clubhouse referred me to the Christian Center in Park City. And the Christian Center gave me um, and it referred me to the Park City Hostel, which you would be, you would, you would deem transitional housing. And so instead of living in a tent or living in my car, now I'm living in a hostel because they gave me $700 for a down payment for the month um, where I could actually stay in the hostel. And really the hostel for 11 months became my home because I didn't get my next place um, in Park City. Um, that allowed me to have my own studio apartment. It took me 11 months to get my own place after living in that hostel. So, so yeah, it was an interesting time, but I, I know that hostel experience must sound kind of, mm, that's pretty tough. It really wasn't. I had a wonderful experience um, meeting people from all over the world. Um, we had a huge dining room area. We'd all sit down, you know, between five and seven at night, cook dinners and, and have conversation and really um, was a positive experience. Um, so I, I felt very fortunate. Um, I do have excellent resources in Park City at the Christian Center, Summit County Clubhouse. Um, I go to a wonderful church called Mountain Life Church. Um, so all that, the community connection with that, and then going to the gym every day. I never stopped going to the gym. Even though we had to wear masks, we, we were wearing masks um, during that time. That routine of get, going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, going to the gym, having people around me that I enjoyed got me through those really tough times. Can you uh, talk about, for people uh, have never heard of Clubhouse, talk a little bit about the organization. At some point, maybe yeah. we'll have somebody from Clubhouse too, but talk about yeah. who they are and how they, what they do. Well, Clubhouse, it is a wonderful organization. Clubhouse International was started over 50 years ago in New York City 
there are 325 clubhouses around the world. And Clubhouse allows you to, is, is basically an organization where you, they have local clubhouses where you go after you've been hospitalized and you need to rebuild your confidence and you need to have a connection to community and you need to start working on your job skills. You need to make a resume. It's confidential. Um, it is a working program. Nobody sits around, whether you're washing dishes or cooking dinner or doing something constructive, you become productive again through common daily tasks that allow you to build your self-confidence. So when you're ready to go out into the workplace, they will help you get a job. And then if you're sick and you're not well, the staff will go fill in for you at that company. So you're not gonna lose your job if you're still struggling with your mental health issue. So it is a, it's a wonderful program. Um, Hilton, um, the organization I work for now, recognized Clubhouse International in 2014 and gave them a $1.5 million grant from Hilton um, Corporation, Hilton Hotels, um, recognizing them as the nonprofit organization for all the Hiltons across the world. So Clubhouse International is very, very excellent. And Summit County Clubhouse, being a part of that, is where I got reconnected reconnected and you don't have to pay like to go you just show up there it's it's funded by like probably donations and the government right. you don't have to pay people who just show up there do and people don't live there correct you just go no no well in this case we don't have living quarters but there are clubhouses that have associated apartments mm -hmm. that are close by a clubhouse like the one in salt lake does have an apartment um, complex that they're responsible for. And I think there's like 30 apartments there. So, so that there, there is uh, around the world. And we hope to have some transitional housing at the Summit County Clubhouse someday. They don't right now. We're fairly new. We're three years old, maybe going on four years now, but they're well-funded. We have a beautiful home. I think they have a couple hundred thousand dollars in um, emergency funds and other funds to help people in their time of need. So it's well-funded. When our show becomes a huge global hit, we will. That will be one of the many charities that we'll. Oh. That will be first on the list, right? You can you can count some kind of clubhouse and clubhouse international. They are wonderful, um, practical organization helping tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people around the world at this moment, and then really millions of people over time. Millions, yeah. Um, I know that you are definitely a man of faith. You wear it. You, yeah. you, you, you know, oh, yeah. you, you, you know, I mean, you know, you live it. So yeah. talk about a little bit, because um, I personally believe I'm, I have a, I'm a Christian Mormon. I grew up huh. Mormon. And so faith has definitely helped me through darker times. Um, yeah. And I think it keeps a lot of people that are on the edge or contemplating suicide. If you yeah. believe in an afterlife and that you might go to hell or something, you know, yeah. I think people's faith, plays a huge is a is a huge component to their health not everyone some people don't believe right. in a god they believe like in the universe or spiritual being yeah, yeah. just discuss like have you has that ever wavered or has it always been strong and well no it's been an up and down roller coaster ride through the time i, I was 15 years old and went to i was involved with fellowship of christian athletes um in high school we, um, obviously growing up in Iowa, we went to Estes Park, Colorado. The first time I'd ever really seen mountains and been in the mountains. 
So it's a very spiritual experience just being in the mountains. But I had the opportunity to listen to wonderful, motivational people speak, um, like Tom Landry, who was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Bob Birdsong, who was Mr. Universe in 1975. They were all Christians. So it was easy for me then at that moment in time to say, you know, they got it going on. I'm going to do what they did. And then eventually I really found that, you know, living a Christian life, you know, I really, nothing satisfies, satisfies like knowing Jesus and understanding the love, the compassion, the grace, the mercy that we find in, in, in Jesus. So that of course made a huge difference. And that's probably why I'm still alive to be honest with you, because it was like, there's times when you really do, there's times when you really want to quit. Um, so I would say that my faith was, was really the foundation that allowed me to continue. That's the best way I can put that. Well, that's beautiful. And uh, you, well, I would imagine too, um, since you're the family's kind of fallen away, uh, yeah. it's a big part of your struggles. Um, do you have a pretty strong, well, you mentioned the church, do you have a pretty strong social support group there now? Um, I would say that I am definitely, um, I go to church every Sunday. Um, not that it's a habit, this that I so much look forward to going and volunteering. I volunteer, I actually am a greeter at church. I usher at church. I do the offering at church. Now I'm doing the live stream where, you know, we basically have, um, you know, just like we have streams, just streaming, just like we, we're doing right now. But we stream the we stream the um, we stream the service. So I do all those things. I really enjoy it. I see it's a small church. It's probably just 500 to 1000 people. And we probably have 250 people per service. So probably 500 people a weekend. And I would say that I really enjoy it and really gives me a sense of purpose. And it definitely, I definitely feel like I'm growing. We, we are, and I think I've mentioned to you this, um, beginning the Christian Peer Network. And the Christian Peer Network is a faith-based peer support network that is going to work through churches to support people with anxiety, depression, bipolar, and other mental health issues that can be supported through peer support. And we're going to, we're going to start here in, in the park city area, but hopefully, you know, someday we'll just do online trainings like this, or we'll have some endorsements and we'll be able to get more help to people that really need it through the churches. Um, I know we, we, we go through the state, we have agencies, we have all the different mental health care from the state, but you know, they don't really, they don't really bring in prayer and they don't really bring in the Holy Spirit into the healing part. And really the greatest healer on the face of the earth is the Holy Spirit. It is, it is just like, it just is what it is. There's, there's nothing like the power of Jesus. There's nothing like the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray for people and we invite the Holy Spirit to heal us and to be a healing force, that is the one element that all these other mental health systems are not including into their health regimen. And that's the healing power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Uh, powerful. I, I yeah. believe this as well. Yeah. Um, I would like to kind of go another direction uh, okay. because uh, there has been a, a national discourse the last couple of years since George Floyd, there's been yeah. a lot of very high profile uh, police interactions with somebody having psychotic. Well, his was not yeah. a psychotic episode, but there's yeah. been numerous high profile 
situations now where there was a tragic ending and and a lot of people out there that are don't don't deal with these people with psychotic episodes yeah. that yeah. you know they want to see money redirected from police to mobile crisis outreach teams or right. mental health or i'd like to talk you you worked in a mobile crisis outreach team yeah uh, for like a year or two. So I'd like you to just yeah. touch on that and, and what you think about that. Um, because yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's, a, it's just, there's people that are for that people are against it. Nobody wants to see the police defunded. Um, right. But these mobile, they're not there. It's become obvious. They're not trained to deal with this, you know, the situation of somebody acting in such a bizarre way. And, and often it has a, a really tragic ending and everybody on all sides, yeah. it didn't have to end this way yeah. with this person being killed. Right. The police don't want to be a part of it. They want, we, I think the mobile crisis outreach team, the MCOTs are going to be very vital. Um, and they are vital. I did 225 calls for Summit County and Wasatch County. I thought it was an amazing program. The police will go in temporarily to make sure there's no weapons. But when a police officer walks in with weapons and can become intimidating, um, it's best when somebody comes in with plain clothes, just like me and a therapist, somebody who's got the experience of being psychotic, someone who's been psychotic in a hospital that can relate to the person who's suicidal or psychotic and speak to them in a calm, loving way and, and try at our best to calm them down, which we most of the time, I would say 80 percent of the time we we had them settle down in a way their loved ones were there. We created a crisis plan and it was very effective. Now the other 20% of the time we needed to get them to the hospital and transport them to the hospital. We were the ones who transported them. They didn't go with the police. Sometimes we transported in a ambulance, but this will be a very effective means. It is going to be a wonderful program it will assist millions of people MCOTs will be amazing and i could definitely speak to um and and the police support this as well and so the police and the firemen and everyone the emergency workers are definitely for MCOTs, and they will be a very successful part of the mental health system and mental health care well, very good. Uh, I know that our government leadership, there's been a lot more money allocated from this current administration and by the uh, Surgeon General Vivek uh, Murthy, uh, as far as he wants to open more peer support uh, centers and he wants to make, you know, mental health uh, a priority and more, more funding yeah. for it. Um, have you... You know, there's also another component to access to care, uh, inequitable, because so many people don't have great insurance. And even if they have mental uh, psychiatric services through their insurance, um, there might be several months of waiting. But so many people, they, a lot of uh, doctors don't accept insurance because of the bureaucracy. It's kind of a nightmare, paperwork and not getting paid. So they just, so what would you say to somebody, the folks out there that have like no insurance or we're, we'll go into resources. We'll definitely provide them on our website. But what would you do if somebody came up to you at the gym and said, man, I think I'm, I'm having something's going on, but I, I, I can't, I don't have a good insurance. I, I can't afford to go spend $200 to talk. What, where would you steer them? What would you encourage them to do? Well, we, we do have really good resources in the Park City area. We're fortunate to have the Christian center Um, the Christian center in my area does have really good counselors and they do have scholarships. And so that's one area 
Um, if they need to go right away, um, I would call 988. And even if they don't have insurance, 988 will be a source of immediate immediate care, whether they have insurance or not. They're going to show up. An MCOT team is going to show up and assist you whether you can pay for it or not. The government, whether it's Medicaid or Medicare, is going to pick it up somehow. Um, so every area has their support systems. And when you become a peer support, you'll learn those. You'll learn those specific places, very specific in my town, very different in Salt Lake City. But you have to, if you're going to be in Salt Lake City or L.A. or New York or Boston or Dallas, whatever it is, every area has their resources. They have they have agencies. They have obviously psychiatrists or psychologists. They take a long time to get into probably six to eight weeks for to see a, a therapist. And that's why that's why the peer support across the country can become very effective stepping stone to at least sit down and share with you like an alcoholic talking to an alcoholic. Hey, I have a mental health issue. You you have one too. You're not alone. And then we can set up some kind of program. Just call me, really, if you're ever in a really bad situation, feel free to call me. That We can have support systems, peer support systems set up in every different community, in every state across the country. It, it's, just, it's just the way it has to be because it just takes so long. The system's overwhelmed um, and it's very shorthanded, especially with, with doctors and psychiatrists psychologists they're just they're just inundated and so that's why they, they don't feel that they don't really people feel like they're being neglected in a way they're not they're not being neglected on purpose they're just the system's overwhelmed and that's why we have to activate this peer support network from through churches so the great thing about having somebody in your church being a peer support is you're already probably going to know them you might not know that they have a mental health or have a mental health history, but they're managing it now. And now they can reach back and help the next person. Hey, I go to your church. You probably know me. We can pray about it. We can talk about it. We can talk about supplements. I, I can share with you my experience on medication. I can't tell you to take medication, but I can share with you how it's helped me. And so you can know you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't always have to take it, but for the time being, you might need it. And that's not a bad thing. So I think, I think there's a lot of hope in our program that we're going to educate a lot of people, not only in this country, but around the world. There's a lot of hope in peer, the Christian peer network, which I think can be effective and implemented very quickly within the next year or so across the country and, and maybe perhaps across the world. There, there's churches all over the world. And then um, they're just, we just have to have hope because there's so much darkness and so many things that are, weighing on people from an emotional standpoint. We, we really need to get out there and get the show in production. But what's the big dream? The big dream is I, I think that we can do a great documentary series. It would be amazing if we were on a network, but we want to be on a streaming platform. So if people can't sit down at six o'clock or eight o'clock at night, they can, maybe they're wide awake at two or three o'clock in the morning and they, they want some information about mental health. They can push on our American Mood Swing show, click, and they can watch our episode on something that might be a benefit to them at that very moment. So streaming is where we, I think, and I think you're going to agree with me, is we want to be on that streaming for sure. But it would be wonderful to be on the Discovery Channel, Learning Channel. It could be, it could be PBS. It could be NBC, CBS, or ABC. You know, I, I don't, 
I don't know. That that would be an amazing, amazing. That 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 would be an amazing dream. Um, I'll take it. I'll I'll take the dream any way it comes. But it's really it's actually in motion right now because you and I are doing it. We're never going to give up. We're going to get it in production. And it's going to be amazing. And we're not doing it for our ego. God knows it's not about about our egos. It's about being a contribution. You're on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we both, we both could use a little bit of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with making some money, but um, at the same time, is we're really, it's really about our audience. It's really about caring about people, and it's really about you know loving, loving people through technology and God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, all things. I think that COVID. We're going to kind of end on a couple thoughts. Uh, I think that COVID exacerbated a lot of things, but I think it was very humbling to people around the world, like how quickly your life can change. Sure. There were so many people's uh, lives, whether some people didn't struggle financially, they did very well. They were still able to hold their jobs, but maybe they lost a loved one. It was there. They, they weren't able to connect and kids were traumatized. I mean, the research is showing how, how behind they are academically and, um, you know, loneliness and substance abuse. So Life is humbling, no matter, I think every single person out there is humbled at, at some point in their life. Maybe they've got everything in the world and overnight they can get a, a terrible health diagnosis and have this horrible situation. So it's humbling and um, it makes you more grateful for when times are good. Um, yeah. one, one thing I wanted to mention before we close out is that when earlier when Rick mentioned that he was in the hospital, for two weeks, right, uh, right into college. So most people out there do not are not aware of something. Uh, once your child is 18, you no longer like if they are hospitalized for any reasons. Uh, you, as a parent, you still have no rights. Like if you called the hospital to get any information on your child or loved one, unless there is something called an, a written an advance. You need to have a, an advanced healthcare directive, but it's called a power of medical attorney. Well, all right. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, we lost Rick, technical difficulties. So thank you everybody for watching and supporting American Mood Swings and uh, sharing it with friends. We are so grateful and um, glad you're on this journey with us. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of American Mood Swings, where we talk about the brain and all things mental health. Hope to see you next week and please share with your friends. 